Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and Dende's secret to growing your Shenron. Tonight on episode 16, we'll be kicking off our coverage of the original 1986 Dragon Ball series. We'll be diving into the very first story arc referred to as Son Goku by our episode guide on Kanzenshu. But it could also be called the Pilaf arc, depending on your taste. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And tonight, we'll be going over episodes 1 through 13 as we review and discuss the original series that started it all. The notes are a little thick, so settle in as we get this thing started. Was there anything you wanted to mention before we got things rolling, Todd? I'm just super excited to start with the original Dragon Ball series. I think Dayton and I have some mixed experiences with this one. Uh, We are going to be going over the dub version and... I'm really excited to touch on the where it all started. Basically, I have kind of uh, watched the original Dragon Ball in mixed pieces sporadically over time. And so uh, honestly, my memory of the full details of it is not very good, but I've seen mixed bits of both the Japanese as well as the English dub. And I think Dayton, you said you've kind of just seen pieces of it maybe even in just youtube videos and stuff is that right yeah um i'd seen probably a small handful of episodes when i was real real young i don't even really remember them but over the years i just kind of watched some of the big fights from the martial arts tournament and stuff like that but there's no real cohesive opinion on what dragon ball the original series actually is so i'm kind of excited to go through all this and kind of figure out where everything actually started Yeah, yeah, me too. And so we'll be taking a look at the English dub. I think that there's been kind of remastered versions of the English dub so that they've been slightly less altered or less censored. Uh, And Dayton and I were able to get our hands on some of those. So I think that's pretty much it. I'm excited to dive into this. Did you have anything else, Dayton? Uh, No, and I can confirm that uh, this was definitely not censored, or if they did, they missed a whole lot. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that leads us right into episode one, which is Bulma and Son Goku. And I got to say, the first time I clicked on uh, a link to watch this, it was the Japanese sub. And then I got to switch over to the dub. And I can say that our English narrator voice, that guy freaking kills it. Like, that guy's amazing. I'm not saying anything about the, the... Japanese narrator. I'm just saying that our guy is great. I really enjoy the English dub narrator. He does a really good job. I think the episode pretty much starts us off with Goku and it it kind of leads us into the world here. We get to see Goku just kind of living his life uh, and it does a very good job of characterizing Goku as we see him kind of chopping wood and carrying food it it looks like he lives off the land like he's you know kind of like a a bit of a wild boy and yeah they do a good job of kind of subtly getting goku kind of familiar to you with his kind of light-hearted personality as he's like dancing on a log and then he doesn't chop the log with the saw he has he instead uses like martial arts techniques and already you you're getting an idea that you know this little kid he's he's resourceful he's kind of lighthearted and he knows martial arts and this is all in like the first few minutes of the show 
Right, which is, I, I like the pacing of this already. I like how quickly it pushes us into the story and helps us figure out the characters because starting here, unless you watch Dragon Ball Z and then went back to Dragon Ball, those people who started with Dragon Ball originally had no concept of who Goku was or what this world was like. And so we get to see Goku, uh, he he basically he runs into a tiger. Uh, I think the tiger tries to attack him and Goku does not seem afraid. Uh, he basically runs away from the tiger, kind of like dipping and dodging and literally runs off of a cliff, kind of doing like a wily e. coyote sort of gag here where the tiger just kind of leaps off after him. And he has caught himself on a tree limb on the side of the cliff. The the tiger does stop in midair for a moment and does the eyes popping out of his head <laughs> wily e. coyote thing. I don't know. I had a good laugh at it. It's it's I mean, it's a cartoon at the end of the day and it's not really disguising itself. Yeah, and it this I mean, this came out in 86, so it's it's an 80s cartoon. We get the kind of a lighthearted vibe here from the start. And uh, I think that we'll talk about that, how that kind of changes and progresses over time. But we get to see Goku fishing with his tail. He catches this giant fish that he again beats up with martial arts instead of, you know, catching it with like a fishing rod or something else. And I think that pretty much takes us up to the point where our next character comes into the scene. Yeah, and this honestly almost kind of surprised me a little bit because right away we get to see Balma kind of driving up towards this mountainous location. And right away they reveal that she's following the, well, as we all know at this point, the dragon radar. And so we get kind of a really iconic piece of technology that's, I mean, it's been in every part of Dragon Ball at this point, so you you would recognize it if you saw it. It's right there in the first episode. And I thought it was kind of neat to see that, but it's it's a very young teenage Balma, and she's tracking down the Dragon Balls. She pretty much lets you know what she's up to at this point. Right. And we basically get to see that Goku, Goku basically gets caught off guard by this, I mean, what we know as a car, but Goku kind of treats it as a monster. And uh, Goku kind of goes to lift up the car itself as I think the car more or less runs into him or almost runs him over. And he picks up the car and throws it. So right off the bat here, we're, you know, between all of the scenes that we've gotten with Goku, just within the first five minutes of the episode, we know that he's very strong. He's very brave, uh, but he's also, as he treats this car like a monster, he's a little bit ignorant. He doesn't know a lot about the world is kind of the impression that we get from him. Yeah. And we get ball kind of popping out of the car and firing a, a gun at Goku of all things, which was kind of <laughs> jarring to me. Um, but yeah, she fires a gun at Goku and Goku's yelling at her as if she's the monster and says that she needs to get out of her shell. He obviously has no idea what's going on here. Right. Which is wild. And the fact that Balma just pulls a gun on this <laughs> child and shoots him in the head, I think is, I mean, it, it's kind of, I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous to me, uh, but it, I think it says a lot about her. It also kind of says a lot about this world, right? Where 
as we're going to see more and more, this world is a lot more dangerous than the earth that we live on. There's dinosaurs, there's monsters, there's all kinds of stuff. So Bulma's quick and ready to just pull a gun and defend herself. Yeah, and we we do get this de-escalation where, where Bulma kind of convinces Goku to let down his guard for a minute. And we get this exchange where we discover a few things about Goku. One is that the only other human he's ever met was his grandpa. And his grandpa's been dead for a while. And so Goku's been on his own. And this is the first other human he's ever actually met. Right. And so that kind of comes down to the fact that Goku doesn't know what a woman is. He does, He's never seen a woman. And Bulma explains to him, hey, I'm a woman. And Goku says something along the lines of like, oh, my 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 grandfather always told me to be nice to women. Uh, but he's this is the first time he's ever met one. And we get to we get kind of the introduction between the two characters where they exchange names, Balma giving hers and Goku laughs at her name and kind of makes fun of it, which it comes across a little bit strange in the dub, I think. But I think that the impression here is that Balma is supposed to be like the word bloomers or it's a play on the word. So I think that that's the original reason why Goku makes fun of her name. Like, Hey, you're named bloomers. <laughs> I, I thought he was making fun of her because she has her name stamped on all of her clothes. That could also be part of it. Or maybe that's <laughs> kind of the dub interpretation even, but, but yeah, there's probably a couple different ways to interpret that. But we do get Goku leading Balma back to his cottage where he's going to share a meal with her. And this is where he reveals that he has the fourth Dragon Ball to Bulma and that it's the only thing that his grandpa had left behind for him. Bulma pulls up two more Dragon Balls and he she starts explaining to Goku what the Dragon Balls really are. And this is where we kind of get the kind of the breakdown of what the well, why the show is called Dragon Ball. Yeah, they basically explain that, or Bama explains to Goku and to us, the audience, that the balls will glow when they're near one another. And we find out again that Bama has this dragon radar that will kind of track them down. But the the kind of the big reveal here is that when somebody collects all seven of these dragon balls, they are granted one wish, which, you know, any of us who have seen any of the series were pretty familiar with these iconic orbs. Yeah, and one wish. Th those are rookie numbers, man. Like, come on. We got to beef those numbers up. They'll certainly get there. <laughs> <laughs> so about this time, we get kind of our, our first peek at the main villain of this story arc. And it's the, at this point, if you've seen Super, it's the squat little Emperor Pilaf. But he's with Shu, who's kind of a, a dog person thing. And he's with uh, Mai, who is a full-blown adult at this point, which I don't really remember how Mai got turned into a kid around the super time. But yeah, at this point, it's adult Mai. It's because they don't give an explanation for that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that would explain it. So, and... They introduce us to them and they show us that they are also trying to track down the uh, the Dragon Balls. And we get Pilaf announcing that his intentions are to rule over the entire world. 
So they do a pretty good job of painting who the villain is probably going to be in the story arc. Right. And the the story is not complicated at this point, right? You've basically got this these two opposing groups, one group with Balma and Goku who are going to be looking for the Dragon Balls and then the Pilaf gang who are going to be looking for the Dragon Balls, each for very different reasons. And to be fair, we're going to find out that Balma's reason is not exactly the most altruistic reason either. <laughs> so no, it's not. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. But Goku <laughs> does end up agreeing to travel with Balma to search with her for the uh, the other Dragon Balls. But his one stipulation is that he gets to hang on to the four star ball because that's the ball his grandpa left him. Right. And, and I think that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I think that's uh, I think that's when Balma thinks internally about what her wish is going to be. Yeah, we get the reveal that Balma is looking for the perfect boyfriend and she wants to use the Dragon Balls, these magical orbs to wish for the perfect boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of a facepalm moment, but at the same time, this is a lighthearted story, so I get it. It's kind of fun because it it reveals a lot about Bulma too, right? We're we've learned at this point a lot about Goku in that he's simple, he doesn't understand a lot about the world, he doesn't know who what women are, uh, but he's also very brave and very strong. And then we learn a lot about Bulma in that she created this technology, this device, this dragon radar to detect the dragon balls. So right off the bat, we know that she's very intelligent. Uh, but we also are finding out that she's she's very selfish, perhaps, or she's very uh, we're we'll, we're kind of going to find out that she's also very vain. She talks about her looks a lot and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we've we've got two characters quite different. One's very selfless. One's very selfish. And they're going to pair up and go on an adventure. And we know who the villain is. In the first episode, they've done a great job of kind of setting everything up. Everything's already kind of in motion and we can start kind of guessing where things are going to end up. Right. And I think that the way that Balma convinces Goku to go with her is that she says, well, she thinks to herself, I believe that she wants him around as a strong bodyguard type, but she tells Goku that his grandpa would be proud of him if he went out and explored the world and found these dragon balls and just kind of got this world experience. And again, this is characterizing both Goku and Balma, where we understand that Goku cares a lot about his grandfather and cares about what his grandfather thought about him. And then we also get that Balma is very charismatic and very good at manipulating people. Yes. She will say anything to get what she wants and sometimes do anything to get what she wants. Yeah, we'll see that coming up. <laughs> we do get a end of the episode sort of thing where uh, Balma gets abducted by a big pterodactyl creature, introducing us to some of the classic dinosaurs we've seen throughout Dragon Ball. And uh, we get a scene where it kind of shows us Goku's kind of naive the pterodactyl more or less just convinces <laughs> Goku to not help Bulma. And Goku just kind of stands there and gets tied up and then watches the pterodactyl start flying away with Bulma and only jumps to action when Bulma yells at him and he thinks, man, I think that pterodactyl was lying to me. 
it's it's pretty excellent like i i thought this was pretty funny especially because the pterodactyl in my mind is basically like like those 60s 70s and 80s villains who like tie women to railroad tracks and like just their mustaches <laughs> like yeah see? Uh, he, he just comes across as blatantly evil and bad and goku just does not catch it or realize it uh so goku basically has to play catch up as balma's screaming at him like he's not you know taking me out to dinner he's gonna eat me <laughs> <laughs> we do get the unveiling of goku's uh weapon though which is kind of cool here Yes, and he pulls off this red staff off of his back, and I think we get the one of his iconic terms from the dub, power pole extend. Yeah. And he well, basically... What is it in Japanese? I don't remember the exact phrase, but I think that his power pole is called his... It's hard to say. Nyoibo. Nyoibo. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That one, but yeah, hard to pronounce. Um, but yeah, we get his iconic Nyoibo or power pole. He basically rides it up into the sky. And I think he's just out of reach of the pterodactyl, but launches himself to uh, end up attacking it and hitting it across the head. Yeah, the pterodactyl gets bonked. Bulma and Goku tumble to the ground. Goku more or less safely lands and then Bulma's left hanging from a branch or a limb on a cliff face, and uh, she's kind of tinkling into the air. <laughs> so That happened. Yeah, so we're, we're getting a, a good idea for the tone of this show right off the bat here, yeah. too, mm -hmm. where we're going to get a lot of this humor. Like, the, the idea was that Balma had to pee, and this pterodactyl abducted her, before she got the chance to pee and through all the events, she peed her pants. <laughs> uh, yep. It's, it's going to be, uh, I don't, it's going to be a show at this point. It's set the pace for you. There's going to be girl jokes. There's going to be pee jokes and there's going to be wee wee. So strap yourselves in. Yeah. We totally forgot to even mention that Goku is just hanging out with his wiener in the very beginning of the episode. <laughs> That's right. When he goes so. out into the river to catch the fish, he gets soaked. And so he just takes all of his clothes off. And then He's I believe just, just like, let's loose uh, nature's call into the river right there. Oh yeah, that's true. We get a back shot of Goku's butt with his tail and then him peeing into the river. And we, we didn't even, we kind of glossed over the fact that uh, our, our main protagonist here is a young boy who has a tail. He has this furry tail that comes off of him. And Bulma also expresses to him that that's not normal. Like normal kids don't have tails. <laughs> but, but those are just some kind of details that I think we missed. I I think for the most part, that kind of carries us to the next episode. Did you have anything else, Dayton? No. Um. I mean, I think I'm ready for episode two. That first episode was kind of a kind of a shell shock for me. It's kind of a really <laughs> different change of pace compared to what I'm used to with Dragon Ball. Yeah, it's definitely different, but it's going to change and progress as we move through the series, I think. So episode two, and this is according to Kanzenshu, um, is called A La 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 No Balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't. I got nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, is that a translation thing? I assume that that's a translation thing. It's got to be <laughs> something Japanese direct translate. I don't know. So so anyway, uh, Goku and Balma travel until dusk, where Balma summons a giant like capsule house to sleep in for the night, and the house and all the electronics are just blowing Goku's mind. Yeah, Goku, similar to the car, Goku thinks that the house is a monster. And then he sees the TV and he thinks that there's a man in there that he's trapped and he has to help him. And again, this is all further characterizing Goku as kind of a country bumpkin. He doesn't even know what a bath is. Yeah, so we get this whole scene where Bulma demands that Goku clean up because he just smells awful which makes absolute sense he's a little wild man who lives in the woods who's never even heard of a bath and so she um bathes goku we get to see a little goku wiener again um so that's never miss an opportunity i guess nope gonna be on display a lot (laughs) but the there there are some scenes with them in the house where there's awkward, like, Goku doesn't really know boundaries because he's never really experienced other people. Like, Bulma goes to take a shower herself, and Goku just walks in and is like, hey, I'll wash your back because you washed my back, and Bulma's just flipping out, and Goku's completely oblivious to to why it's a big deal. Right, and we already established that Goku has never met a woman before, and his grandpa told him to be nice to women, so... In Goku's mind, he's he's just being nice. He's uh, he's he's offering to help, uh, and and we got to see when Bulma tried to wash Goku's back. He said, "No, no, I can do that myself," and he used his tail to wash it too, which was kind of strange. But this is basically further just expressing that Goku doesn't understand social norms, and we're going to continue to see that moving forward. Yeah, and from from here we go into some pilaf shenanigans where we get him kind of trying to be boisterous and in charge, and we get an awkward him passing gas scene where he then asks Shu, who is before him, if he heard it, and Shu doesn't give him a convincing response, and so pilaf begins with a little bit of light torturing for Shu's hearing him fart. Yeah, so we've gotten little Goku wiener. We've gotten Balma peeing her pants. We've gotten the bathtub fan service <laughs> Balma scene. And now we're getting fart jokes, guys. Yeah, there it is. 10 out of 10. This is as classy as it gets. That's right. But uh, <laughs> so we find that Pilaf, while thinking originally that he only needed one Dragon Ball to make his wish, finds out he needs all seven Dragon Balls. And so he sends Shu and Mai, his spies or agents, to find another one. And they end up making their way to Skull Valley. Yeah, and Skull Valley, it's located actually not far from where Goku and Balma are actually setting up camp. And deep in the night, Goku leaves the house to go hunt for some food because he's just starving. And while he's hunting, he sees a plane fly overhead. And he looks up and he says, 
oh, okay, there's something to eat. I'm going to eat that bird because he has no idea what a plane is. And this plane is the plane that Shu and Mai are taking to Skull Valley. And so Goku starts pursuing them. Right. So Goku doesn't understand these electronics or mechanical devices. So he chases them to Skull Valley where they think that they they basically heard a rumor of some shiny red orb. And so Shu and Mai are looking for it and they eventually find that whatever the shining red orb is, it seems more like it is an eyeball or multiple eyeballs of these wolves that kind of their home seems to be within this valley. And then uh, kind of trying to defend themselves, Goku shows up and he's uh, not only trying to hunt down this bird that they've landed in or this (laughs) plane, but he then sees all of these wolves and decides that they will be the perfect meal for him this evening. (laughs) So amongst all the chaos with Goku kicking wolf butt, we get Shu and Mai attempting to jump in the plane and fly out of there before they can get hurt. But Goku, determined to not let his bird get away, uh, decides to use the power pole to help him knock the plane out of the sky. And they go tumbling to the ground. But unfortunately, Goku does not get his bird. (laughs) <laughs> that's right goku ends the evening birdless i i got a really good laugh out of two things here one the scene where shu and mai take off in the plane and goku chases after them mid fight with the wolves and these wolves are just like piling on him and like <laughs> hanging off of his body as he's just running chasing this plane and cares not at all about these wolves just hanging off of him. <laughs> But I also got a pretty good laugh out of the once the plane blows up, it felt very much like a team rocket explosion of just Shu and Mai kind of goofily getting launched out into the distance. And to be fair, Pokemon may have used Shu and Mai as influence for our team rocket later in probably the 90s. (laughs) I mean, it's there's going to be a lot of scenes where people walk away from situations that there's no way in hell they should have been able to walk away from this there's going to be i don't know there the tone is light and there's a lot of almost like cartoon references that happen in here kind of like the well the explosion with shoe and my that they walked away from exactly and that's that is a very different tone from anybody who has watched dragon ball z in particular but dragon ball z and dragon ball super where the tone is much more serious here death is or even you know people getting hurt is treated much more comically and they they walk away from explosions or falling off cliffs or things like that thus far anyway so after knocking a bird out of the sky goku returns to balma with a wolf with a side of centipede and for some reason balma is disgusted by this and does not want to partake in the meal so goku's left to eat his wolf and centipede all on on his own I mean, like Timon and Pumbaa say, slimy yet satisfying. Mm. I think they said that right before they ate their wolf, if I remember correctly. (laughs) That's what I would say. (laughs) Yeah, we basically get Goku, you know, he cooks the wolf, he eats the wolf. Uh, Balma is disgusted and grossed out by this. Uh, I think there's even kind of a funny to me, a funny comment in the dub where Bama says, 
I don't know what planet he's from, but it's certainly not this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got that down here, too, because I was just like, hmm, I can't tell if that's foreshadowing or just a coincidence. Uh, yeah, I think the dub team has the advantage of knowing exactly what's coming up. So. <laughs> <laughs> we do get uh, the Bulma and Goku kind of settling down for the night. Um, I believe there's some more shenanigans in the morning, but uh, yeah, we get. Um... <laughs> we we got to talk about that. <laughs> OK, all right. I'll let you break it down. I mean. This is very 80s. Like, this could not be in a show uh, in today's day and age, honestly, because basically, Balma's sleeping. Goku goes to sleep in the same bed with her. He basically lays his head between her legs. And it, it seems like a very familiar thing for Goku to do. We kind of get the impression that he's done this with his grandfather, most likely. And he seems surprised. So he basically, like, as he puts his head down, he gets up, he kind of like pats between Balma's legs, basically sexually <laughs> harassing her. I love watching you navigate this. <laughs> Being very careful here. <laughs> also, and I apologize for the train if anyone hears a train at this point. <laughs> but he's basically patting his hand between Balma's legs and he kind of just screams shocked and he wakes uh, or I, I'm sure. I totally forgot. He also, before that, he pulls Balma's underwear off to investigate <laughs> and confirms that there is nothing between her legs. And he screams, waking her up. And he basically just says, no balls, Balma, your balls are gone. They're missing. <laughs> <laughs> and Balma immediately thinks, oh, Dragon Balls. Where are the Dragon Balls? <laughs> But thankfully, the Dragon Balls were safe and sound. Yeah, yeah. She found the Dragon Balls and she's like, Goku, don't scare me like that. And Goku is still shocked that Bulma has no balls. Yeah. So anyway, there's a turtle that shows up in the morning. <laughs> and uh, the, the turtle has been looking for the sea for, I think, a couple years now. And he's been unable to find his way to it. He's been lost. And he asks uh, Goku and Bulma if they would help him find his way back to the sea. To which Goku replies, of course. And Bulma replies, no, that's a lot of time and effort. And I don't feel like helping this turtle. And so they split ways for just a moment when Goku kind of runs off and he's going to help the turtle back to the sea. And then once Bulma kind of stops and looks around her and sees basically Godzilla marching around in the background and all the all the dangers in the world that she'll have to deal with by herself. She packs up camp quickly and catches back up to Goku, braiding him the whole time. Yeah, and that basically wraps up the episode. We kind of move forward with Balma and Goku with Turtle. Did you want to take us to the next one, Dayton? Yeah, sure. That's going to bring us into episode three, which is, you might have to help me with the pronunciation, Kame Senenin's uh, Kento on Un. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's Kame Senin Kinto Un, which we'll find out is going to be Master Roshi and the uh, Flying Nimbus. Ooh, all right. Yeah, so we get Goku and Bulma or continuing with their journey with the turtle, but they're stopped on the road by a 
I couldn't tell at first what kind of animal it was, but I think it's a giant bear man thing with an eye scar. I think so. It's got kind of a long nose for a bear, long, narrow nose, but I called it a bear bandit as well. So, and we get this big, brutish, thuggish bear man standing in the street threatening our our couple heroes here, and he pulls out a, a giant scimitar, and he ends up attacking Goku, who almost kind of dances and dodges around it and is chuckling to himself as he kind of enjoys this little fighting experience that he's getting. Yeah, again, we're uh, Goku is not afraid here. Goku is very confident. Uh, Bulma tries to ditch the turtle. She's like, no, we're out of here. <laughs> but uh, Goku says the turtle's my friend and he doesn't let the bear bandit take the turtle to eat him. And after Goku dances around a little bit, he gives him the one punch. <laughs> yeah, it, one punch. And this big bear bandit thing is like probably 10 times the size of Goku. Like he's absolutely massive. And in one punch, Goku effortlessly takes the brute down. Yeah, yeah, it was a simple task for him. And this, I mean, the, the bandit had a sword. Like Goku's life was in danger legitimately. But again, the the tone here is still pretty light, but we kind of move past that scene as Goku takes care of the bandit and we get a little shot of the Pilaf gang as they learn of Master Roshi and his Dragon Ball. So we kind of get the impression that uh, they are going to head there to try to find it. And then I think we're going to kind of move back to the road with Balma and Goku and Turtle as they arrive at the sea. Yeah, and they bring the turtle back to the sea, which Goku has never seen before. And his mind, once again, is kind of blown because he's never really stepped foot outside of his little cottage area. And from there, we get uh, the turtle being put back in the water. And he asks them to just wait a moment because he has a gift for them. And that he's going to swim off and Goku and Bulma are going to be left standing around. Goku uh, tries to drink the salt water because he's never really encountered salt water and finds out that it's pretty darn icky. And then uh, from there, I do believe we get, well, what we know is Master Roshi returning upon the back of the turtle, just kind of all cool as a, cu cool as a cucumber back to the scene. Yeah, Master Roshi, our first introduction to him in Dragon Ball. And Master Roshi basically is there to kind of thank both Balma and Goku for bringing Turtle back to his home. Turtle's been lost for quite some time. And so Master Roshi starts to think of ways that he can reward Goku and Balma, although. I think it ends up being specifically Goku because Turtle says, oh, no, Bulma wasn't going to help me. She was not <laughs> any help at all. <laughs> I love that Turtle totally did the right thing, being like, no, 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 no. Don't reward her. Just reward him. <laughs> yeah. So Master Roshi goes through a few ideas in his mind, and he eventually settles on calling out to the flying Nimbus. And we see this cloud that soars down to the ground. Uh, and Master Roshi kind of begins to explain how the cloud works. 
Yeah. Um, he warns the party that you must be pure of heart in order to ride the Nimbus. And to show them what he means, he attempts to jump on the cloud and ends up falling right through it, straight to the floor. But it proves that the, the cloud does care about if your heart is pure or not. Oh, the cloud knows its business, and it knows that Master Roshi is not pure of heart. <laughs> <laughs> we do get Goku kind of like listening to Roshi's words and seeing him fall and going, all right, yeah, I'll jump on the cloud. And sure enough, without really any effort, Goku climbs on top of the cloud and is in no time pretty much just flying around as if he was born to ride that thing. Yeah, I, I think those are even Master Roshi's exact words is he says that Goku is almost as if he was born to ride flying Nimbus. And uh, I think as they're kind of or as Goku s- stops soaring around on his cloud, it's shown or Balma finally recognizes the Dragon Ball necklace that Master Roshi is wearing. And she says that she wants the necklace. He says he's not willing to give it up. However, they kind of make a bit of a deal or she basically tries to coerce him by flashing him her underwear. And well, as we mentioned in the last episode, Alma's not wearing any underwear. Oh, shoot. The plot thickens. (laughs) (laughs) so master roshi asking for underwear and getting a buck more um we get the good old anime nosebleed times a thousand and uh yeah he happily gifts over the dragon ball to bulma for i guess putting in a little extra yeah and so at this point, our heroes, Goku and Bulma, they've already in episode three, they've collected four out of seven Dragon Balls, which is a lot. The pace is going quick here. And they eventually uh, end up leaving Roshi and Turtle and they kind of camp for the night, setting up another capsule house. Uh, and that is when Bulma realizes that she's not wearing any underwear. <laughs> and so she uh goku basically explains that he took them off and <laughs> in retaliation to goku taking off her underwear balma shoots goku with a machine gun <laughs> <laughs> remember remember it's it's still a cartoon at this point uh bullets are just annoying yeah i mean it we're again the fact that goku can be shot with bullets expresses that he's strong but it's also you know part of the gag here it's part of the cartoony nature of it right now oh yeah um but while all of this is happening we do get the pilaf crew arriving at kame house which we know because it says kame house right along the side of it (laughs) that's helpful um and they're kind of tearing everything apart and they're looking for the dragon ball that is until roshi arrives in the island and pilaf decides to threaten him and demand that he hand over the Dragon Ball. This is where Roshi reveals that he gave it to a woman and kind of sends them off to find her, but not before punching a hole into the side of their seaplane, which then eventually sinks into the ocean, once again, Team Rocket style. Yeah, very Team Rocket style. I I thought this was pretty funny as they're kind of asking Master Roshi for a push to get the sub back into the water. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'll give you a push, all right. <clears throat> <laughs> 
puts a <laughs> hole right in the sub. That, that's crotchety old man revenge right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny. That was a fun little way to end that episode. And mm. I think that kind of moves us forward to episode four. It does. And episode four is the kidnapping demon Oolong. And uh, right off the bat, we get uh, Balma crashing her motorcycle at the start of this episode. Um, there's been a kind of a couple running gags with her kind of driving uncontrollably. So yeah. <laughs> it's unsurprising at this point. But after this happens, her and Goku come across an empty village that supposedly houses the fifth Dragon Ball. They end up breaking down a door and encountering a terrified vigil villager. And uh, I believe in this scene, the villager actually hits Goku in the head with an axe. He smashes that axe right over <laughs> Goku's head. The axe head shattering. Fortunately, Goku being hardy enough to take an axe blow to the skull. But uh, that yeah, dude was just going to just axe a, a little kid in the head. Like, that's crazy. Right. Like, <laughs> I know that this is, you know, it's it's cartoony. There's supposed to be these gags and whatnot. But the adults in this show have the most questionable morality <laughs> oh look a child i better shoot it with a gun and hit it with an axe <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i get it i get it goku's strong he's durable but holy shit people what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> oh man so okay it's all cool though because the villagers have been ter or being terrorized by a monster called oolong and apparently he's able to change shapes and so I think the thought process here is that they may have thought Goku was this shapeshifter Oolong. Right. We get the impression that this older man who hit Goku with an axe, he basically was trying to defend his daughter. His daughter had been picked out by this monster Oolong as basically as his as his bride. And so Oolong was coming today to take her away and that's basically why this old man reacted to goku entering into his house the way that he did and that's why the whole village was kind of hiding and why it seemed like a ghost town when they first showed up exactly and so we end up finding out that there's an old woman in the town who has the dragon ball and Balma gets the bright idea that if they can solve this problem, this oolong monster, and get rid of him, uh, they they could get the Dragon Ball out of it. And the old woman basically agrees, stating that there have been multiple young girls who have been abducted by oolong, and they want to try to get them back. Yeah, and this is where we get Balma using that big Balma brain of hers to hatch this plan to dress Goku up as a girl and then get Oolong to take Goku back to the hideout where all the other girls are. So that way he can beat up the bad guy and get the, all the captured girls out of their prison. Yeah. So Goku is basically going to disguise himself as the young girl that Oolong is coming to take today. And so Goku puts on a dress. He wraps up his hair and he's Goku's not happy about this plan at all. However, he does put himself out in the center of town when they hear these heavy footsteps coming through the town. And we get to see the 
monstrous form that is oolong this monster towering over the buildings and kind of crushing the ground as he walks through with this deep bellowing voice and he comes in stating that he's going to take the girl to be his and be his bride yeah and at this point he's in this kind of like big pig demon form and as he's talking to well what he thinks is the little girl he's looking for, it's actually Goku. Goku's trembling. And at this point, we find out that Goku's been holding in nature's call for a little while at this point. And Oolong <laughs> mistakens it for him being afraid. And we get this little exchange where Oolong decides that, all right, well, rather than being something that scares you, I'll be a handsome gentleman. And so Oolong transforms into this dapper gent who's just absolutely handsome on all accounts maybe too handsome because balma who's been watching from the sideline decides this is my time this is my chance to move in and make my move balma's been hiding this entire time just kind of afraid of this monster however seeing this very handsome gentleman very handsome very handsome she comes bursting out of the house and offers herself up saying, no, take me instead. I'm (laughs) much older and look at my chest. It is much more developed. So uh, Oolong (laughs) is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, Oolong's torn. Oolong doesn't know what to do. He's, he's trying to decide if he should take the new girl or if he should take the girl he's already decided on. Yeah. And so we get this, Kind of awkward scene that kind of goes back and forth for a little bit until uh, there's kind of a great reveal that happens, I think, right around this point. It's perfect. (laughs) We get um, Goku standing off to the side. Um, He can no longer hold in nature's call and he's relieving himself on a little bush standing up. And this kind of tips Oolong off to <laughs> something is not right here. <laughs> yeah, Oolong goes over to take a closer look and further inspect on this, what he believes is this girl standing and taking a pee. Uh, and it, just Oolong's face as he gets a nice eye full of Goku wiener is <laughs> fantastic. Welcome to the party, Oolong. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to deal with it. Now you get to deal oh, with it. Oh, boy. And... Uh, <laughs> Oolong, now kind of confused and infuriated, decides to transform into a dastardly bull and threatens to wreck the whole town for for trying to trick him. Yeah, and Goku Goku's super excited about this because he did not like the ploy of dressing up like a girl. So he ditches the disguise and he's like, all right, let's go. Let's fight. And <laughs> Oolong's like, wait, you're you're not scared. You're not going to run away. Yeah, he's kind of like stomping his feet and saying, well, look at you. You're just a little boy and I'm a big mean bull. And after a couple exchanges like this, we get Oolong kind of glancing over at a ticking clock. And you can see him kind of like sweat a little bit and then turn and just flee from the town, just runs out the front gate and then hangs a hard left. And then there's a big poof. And that's when we get Goku kind of going into pursuit. Yeah, Goku quickly chases after him, kind of confused as to why he's running away. And as he turns around the corner, he sees this small pig man standing there. And Goku asks him, hey, did you see a bull running out here? And the pig guy kind of points him off in the direction away from town. He's like, yeah, he went that way. And Goku's off in hot pursuit. But uh, 
we, the audience, get to hear the pig man's thoughts and figure out exactly what's going on. I, I will say um, uh, I was kind of happy to hear I, it's got to be the same voice actor who's done Oolong this whole time because it sounds spot on. I was just like, that is such like it's crazy hearing that voice in this old, old show. I freaking love it. I'm pretty sure it is. I didn't double check for that voice actor, but yeah, it sounds exactly the same. I was happy to hear it. Also, just I mean, the way he's just like, yeah, yeah, he went over there. The way he delivers his lines right there, I thought were it was really good. I just got a good little chuckle out of it. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. And eventually Goku comes back empty handed and then Oolong shows up again now in a different form. We the audience know at this point, you know, that Oolong is a little pig guy, uh, but Oolong has shape changed into this giant menacing robot with this bowl of hot ramen and chopsticks for whatever reason, because that's menacing, I guess. <laughs> he was going to dip uh, Goku in the uh, in the sauce there. Yeah, I'll put you in the ramen. You're going to be my little noodle. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he basically is threatening everyone again, trying to get Goku to back down, and Goku won't. And eventually, Oolong gets shot in the back of the head with a slingshot by a small child. And boy, does it hurt. <laughs> yeah, he's he kind of throws a little bit of a temper tantrum and kind of rubs the back of his head and is kind of acting pathetic. And at this point, Oolong realizes that Goku's not going to back down. And so we get this kind of moment of panic where Oolong kind of poof, turns into a bat and starts flying off. Well, of course, Goku has his new magic Nimbus. And so he hops on his magic cloud and starts pursuing Oolong through this really kind of comical cartoony chase where they're chasing each other and Goku's catching up. So Oolong transforms into a rocket and starts rocketing away. Yeah. This feels again to me, especially somebody who grew up with Looney Tunes feels very Looney Tunes to me with like the rocket has these big eyes and this big mouth as it's kind <laughs> yeah. of like weaving in and out of the mountains, trying to get away from Goku and his flying cloud. We, um, we do get a pursuit up until Oolong just, poof transforms again and starts falling from the sky where i do believe goku has to save him from his uh from his very long descent am i right yeah goku has to goku basically catches oolong this time oolong's timer more or less ran out he can only transform for up to five minutes and so not paying attention to the timer in this hectic chase he lost his power dropped his form and probably would have turned into a flattened pig pancake, but Goku catches him out of the air. Yeah, and we get Goku bringing him back to the village where his hands are bound, and and the village is all kind of talking to Oolong, like, how could you do this to us? Where are our kids? And Oolong decides to uh, to bring him, bring the village to where he's been storing all these, these young women. And turns out it's actually a, a palace, actually not far from the village. And yeah. They all kind of go inside and the parents are running around screaming for their children. And when they come across them, turns out they've all actually been living in quite a level of luxury. And on top of that, Oolong's almost been acting as their servant this whole time. And he begs them to take these kids off his hand. It's pretty funny. I think that this is uh, Toriyama, Akira Toriyama really likes to subvert expectations. And I think that this is kind of showing us the beginnings of the way that he likes to do that, where, 
you know, these girls have been kidnapped and we expect them to be, you know, slaves or in a torture palace or something. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, they are, you know, living the life. And Oolong wanted them. He basically took them because he wanted them to clean his house and cook and take care of it. But they certainly are not doing anything. <laughs> no, if anything, he has more cleaning and cooking to do now that all these people are here. <laughs> exactly. And so this kind of culminates in our heroes, Goku and Balma have solved the Oolong problem. They received the fifth dragon ball from the old woman in the village. And this turns into Oolong kind of joining our party. And I also forgot there's one other thing I wanted to note about this episode in that when Goku met the little girl, we are continuing the theme of Goku sexually harassing women to determine (laughs) if they are men or women. (laughs) But it's okay. He doesn't know what he's doing, so it's all right. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that leads us into episode five, which is the strong villain of the desert, Yamcha. And that's definitely a name we all know. Yeah, so this basically starts, again, we're getting to see that Oolong has joined the party at this point. And so they eventually get stranded in the desert without dino capsules. They, I think they run out of gas and they end up losing their dino capsules somehow. And yeah, so... they, the, they end up losing their dino capsules, but we do find out the direction that the party is going to be heading. And it's a place called Fire Mountain, which is the home of the Ox King who wields a giant battle axe. News of this pretty much terrifies the crap out of Oolong, and he attempts to transform into a fish to abandon the ship. Uh, We get naked Goku trying to catch uh, fish Oolong, so that's cool. Gotta have Um, a shot of that Goku wiener in every episode. It's every, it's a staple. Um, (laughs) Bulma decides that the best way to catch a fish is to use the right bait, and so she uses a pair of her underwear on a fishing line to catch Oolong to bring him back to the crew. And uh, yeah, it works. Oolong bites. <laughs> I mean, if you if you know a pervert, you know you got to use what works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I have a note in here. It just at this point, I just said, "Man, there's a lot of Goku's little baby peepee in this show." <laughs> I wasn't joking when I said we got to get a shot of it in every episode. <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, um. So anyway, the gang, uh, they begin making their way through the desert towards Fire Mountain. And this is where we get our first shot of uh, Puar, for those who know who Puar is. Um, And we get Puar kind of running down and informing Yamcha that they have new victims. And it's kind of interesting to see Yamcha in a more villainous light. Right. So again, this is our first introduction to Yamcha for anybody who hadn't watched Dragon Ball Z beforehand. And yeah, he's he's kind of portrayed as the bad guy here. He's basically he's a desert bandit, as the episode title suggests. And so he's prepping to steal the group's belongings and he jumps out in front of them, uh, stating that they either give the, give him their belongings like their dino capsules and anything else they have or they have to fight him yeah and at this point we do get a uh, poor noticing oolong 
and mentioning that they had gone to shape-shifting school together. So right off the bat, they let you know what Poir's about, and they also establish a relationship between two of the characters meeting right here. Right. And so we basically jump into the fight between Goku and Yamcha because Balma, Poir, and Oolong have no interest in actually fighting. And so Goku expresses, which I thought that this was kind of funny as they are starting to fight. Goku says that he was taught, specifically says karate by Grandpa <laughs> Gohan, which is very much a goofy dubism, which I thought was just kind of funny. Like, my Grandpa Gohan taught me karate. <laughs> but... <laughs> so funny. It sounds ridiculous to me. Oh, uh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, martial arts feels like a manly thing, like an adult thing versus like karate feels like a little kid thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it just makes me laugh. Yeah. So I, I just thought the dialogue for that in the dub was a little bit funny. But I think Dayton and I both kind of went into this knowing that there was going to be some very ridiculous dub dialogue since this was dubbed back in the gosh, I think the early nineties, even though it originally came out in the eighties. Yeah. And like, I don't think dubs are absolutely fantastic right now, but they, they are decent. There's a decent number of um, dubs out there, but I know going back through the years, just there, there are some pretty awful dubs going back and back, especially when it comes to like, if anybody was ever considered not the main character or the best friend of the main character, they would usually get anybody off the street to dub those voices. Yeah. And you could tell for a lot of them, but, mm -hmm. but this... we, we do get the fight kind of heating up between, uh, Goku and, um, Yamcha. And we do get the, uh, the reveal of Yamcha had actually recognized the power pole and that he's heard of grandpa Gohan in that weapon. Right. So it kind of reveals to us that grandpa Gohan's kind of a big deal, at least in the martial arts community, which could partially explain why Goku is so strong and so successful in a lot of these fights where he seems like he should be outmatched, but mm -hmm. Goku's able to beat up on Yamcha a little bit. And then eventually Yamcha pulls out his signature move, the Wolf Fang Fist. Heck yeah, we're going to see plenty of this. Yes. So Yamcha basically knocks Goku back. We we keep kind of getting this repetition in the exposition here that Goku is starving because they lost their capsules and they just have no food. So Goku's struggling in the fight against Yamcha here. And as he's kind of on the back foot with Yamcha kind of getting ready to take advantage of that that's when Bulma wakes up from her nap on the sidelines and it takes Yamcha to a screeching halt as he sees this pretty girl on the side yep and this is important because there's there were honestly a lot of running gags in this show that I didn't realize were running gags until probably about this episode <laughs> Yeah, yeah, these are going to be, uh, I mean, just recurring jokes, kind of, and this is actually going to turn into basically a character arc for some of these characters. So Yamcha basically turns red and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he takes Poir with him, but he just kind of dips out. And 
Balma is a little bit love struck when she sees Yamcha and she, I think her dialogue there is who was that hunk? Yeah, we get every time there's a, a, a pretty boy around Balma seems to be head over heels. And then it's, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. It's <laughs> yeah. And so we, the very tail end of the episode reveals that Oolong actually had a capsule that he was keeping secret and it ends up being this big camper capsule. And so our protagonists are able to jump into the camper and they kind of continue on their adventure into the next episode, I think. And I will say at this point, I kind of noticed that we are, we're five episodes in and all the fighting has been very brief up until this point. Like it's always just been kind of a couple exchanges, a couple little maybe dodging an attack or two. And then usually it's only a couple blows that are actually struck up into this point. And that's, it's such a departure of what I'm used to seeing in, in Dragon Ball Z and then Dragon Ball Super and just the more recent Dragon Ball series. Yeah, this is easily the longest fight that we've had thus far. Pretty much every other fight has ended in pretty much one shot. And so that's kind of the funny part here, though, is that while Yamcha, especially in more recent years, is considered to be a bit of a joke, he's he's shown to be comparable to Goku in this moment. He, he basically had the upper hand, even if it was mostly because Goku was hungry, but he's... He's certainly competent and relevant here. Yeah, he's he's proven to be, at this point, probably the only powerful combatant we've seen up until this point in all of Dragon Ball. Yeah, which is, hey, good on you, Yamcha. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us into episode six, which is the Midnight Visitors. And we get Yamcha and Poir kind of continuing to plot to take down Goku and Bulma and Oolong. Um, and we kind of get a scene of our heroes kind of settling into Oolong's camper van that he had stored away in a capsule. And during the night, we get, uh, Mai and Shu trying to covertly plant explosives onto their camper van, but, uh, they accidentally stick the explosives to Shu's hand and so have to retreat from the campsite. <laughs> again more goofy team rocket shenanigans mm -hmm. and and so they they dip out they've got an active bomb on shu's hand and mai's trying to get away from shu <laughs> and it kind of turns into those guys are after the dragon balls and now yamcha and plar come back and they are just after goku and gang's belongings not really knowing about the dragon balls but we basically get Yamcha kind of trying to do some surveillance of the camper. And one of the very first things that he finds is Balma showering and a nice shot of Balma naked in the window. And as we already know, Yamcha is bashful around beautiful women. So this kind of puts him out of commission for a moment. Yeah, he's basically just paralyzed at this point. It's it's women are his weakness and he got more woman than I think he's probably ever seen at this point. So he's kind of on the ground, kind of frothing from the mouth, just unable to function. 
Right. And so we kind of cut back into the inside of the camper where Goku is explaining the Dragon Balls to Oolong, even though Balma told him not to do so. And this is how Yamcha learns about the Dragon Balls. And we get some exposition from Yamcha that he would love to use the Dragon Balls so that he could wish to no longer be afraid of girls. Once again, you could wish for anything, and that's what you're wishing for. But don't worry. Uh, not long after this, we get to hear what Oolong's wish is going to be. And that's his... He, he wants a harem of 300 women. <laughs> <laughs> I Honestly, I love that all of the wishes from our main cast are very petty, very mm-hmm. selfish, silly wishes. It, it it speaks a lot to humanity, I guess, which is kind of funny to me. Uh, honestly, the the wish that seems the most, uh, how do I want to put it? it? Seems like the most appropriate for the level of power that you get from these things is Pilaf's wish, which is to rule the world. <laughs> it's like, oh, you could have anything. Think bigger. Yeah, but no, I want to be not afraid of women or I want a boyfriend. Uh, I mean, I guess Oolong wants a harem of 300 women, which would be pretty hard to obtain otherwise. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, well, if that wish isn't creepy enough, uh, Oolong decides to do the next creepiest thing. And he slides sleeping powder into some juice that he feeds to Goku and Balma. And he ends up knocking both of them out. And during this time... Oolong has a plan to go upstairs where Balma is sleeping to swipe the Dragon Balls and get out of there. But before he's able to do so, Yamcha and Poir decide to break into the van. And Oolong mistakens this as Goku has just woken up and so he transforms into Balma. Yamcha has Poir transform into Goku. The two shapeshifters walk each other out of the house. And then we get a scene with Yamcha... (laughs) (laughs) grabbing what he thinks is a dragon ball, but in fact, it is Bulma's chest. Yeah, he explains that it's squishier than he expected. Mm. And basically, Oolong tried to hide Bulma's body underneath the blanket. So he just, Yamcha basically just saw a lumpy pile underneath this blanket and assumes that's where they were hiding the dragon balls. So he gets a handful of Bulma boob and basically pulls the blanket back again, seeing more Balma than he was expecting. And we basically get a shot of Oolong or I'm sorry, of Poir having to take Yamcha out of the camper and just kind of retreat because Yamcha is again, out of commission. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's the end of the night shenanigans. Um, we do get a very early morning scene where we see, that uh, Mai and Shu are able to set the bomb to blow up at 8 a.m., which is in one hour, and plant it on the vehicle without anyone noticing. And we flip over to Oolong, who's been sitting in the front seat of the camper, awake all night with a shotgun because he's sick of visitors at this point. (laughs) And then we get a scene... Wow, there's a lot that happens. Okay, and then we get a scene... With Balma, who's been unable to find clean clothes, finding the one extra set of clothes that Oolong has hidden away, and it's a uh, it it's a bunny girl outfit. 
we get Bunny Balma, one of the most iconic looks for Balma, even for those who have probably never even seen the original Dragon Ball. And man, I can tell you, I've seen this cosplayed at so many anime conventions. Uh, I mean, 30 plus years later, like it's it's such an iconic visage of Balma. I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I was just like, have I? I've only been to like two. It's super popular, apparently. And, you know, even for me as a young kid, I I definitely loved me some Bunny Balma. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so we move on from Bunny Balma into Hunky Yamcha attacking mm-hmm. the van as they attempt to navigate the desert. The van is destroyed because uh, I guess capsules and vehicles are just throwaway at this point. And Yamcha threatens the party for the Dragon Balls. We get Goku and Yamcha exchanging some blows, but the battle is quick and Goku quickly wins this battle, sending Yamcha running. Yes, so that ends up taking us to the Pilaf gang uh, blowing up the bomb. They were checking on the camper after it got blown up already and (laughs) they basically thought that the bomb should have gone off by now, but they end up catching themselves in the explosion once more team rocket style getting blown away. Well, that's weird. I set the bomb to go off 10 minutes from now. Uh, It probably just went off early. Let's get in there. (laughs) It'll be fine. Don't (laughs) worry about it. Mm, Yes. I can see the cartoon vibes already. And then it basically wraps up the episode with nice guy Yamcha showing up and saying, oh, I'm sorry about all the problems, guys. Here's a vehicle that you can take. And he's basically his intent is to use Goku and gang to let them track down the Dragon Balls now so that he himself can steal the Dragon Balls and get his wish to no longer be afraid of women. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But that leads us into the next episode, which is Dragon Ball Episode 7. Uh, uh Guamo of Mount Frypan. I I got nothing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's something about uh Fire Mountain. That, yeah, that, that's all probably, I can tell you. <laughs> probably has to do with the Ox King. Ox King of Fire Mountain is my guess, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, let me go ahead and read my first note here. The gang continues down the road and eventually comes across Fire Mountain with Yamcha and Poir not far behind. Mai and Shu return to Pilaf and deliver the bad news. They are rewarded with some light torturing for their failures. Yes. And so Oolong also kind of expresses the lore of fire mountain to our heroes stating that there was a spell put on the mountain by uh someone that the ox king had basically hired or requested to put it on the mountain to protect his castle and his treasure and i guess the ox king kind of defends the mountain and that leads us to the group I actually really arriving. like the the Ox King story because he had hired wizards to start these magical fires to protect his treasures, but the fires grew rampant and got out of control, and so he was trapped on the top of the mountain with his treasures. It's kind of a really old school like mythological story. I freaking love it. 
It's very cool. And I mean, for those who know much about Dragon Ball and its history, it's based on the old story or legend, the journey to the West. And that story too has a lot of similar just kind of folklore tales, which is pretty fun to get that bit with the ox game here. I thought it was fun. I really liked it. Yeah. And that's going to basically lead us into our heroes arriving at fire mountain, kind of confusing it for the sunrise in the distance initially. And they end up almost immediately coming upon the ox King himself. And he appears as this giant mountain of a man himself in armor with this giant axe that he nearly slices Balma in half with upon his first introduction. As he comes over, seeing that the group or hearing that they've decided to try to get into the castle to steal his treasure. Yeah, I think it's funny that the and I feel like this is the kind of story where you know, the Ox King's greed is what caused him to torch his own mountain sort of thing. And so he shows up and the only thing he's concerned about is his treasure. And just, I love that they keep that ball rolling forward. But we do get uh, some scenes with the Ox King acting all threateningly. And then we get Goku arriving onto the scene. And we get, um, I, I would say, a brief exchange between the Ox King and Goku, where Goku's riding around on the Nimbus, flying around the Ox King, kind of also really showing the stature of the Ox King, whereas he almost looks like a like a giant compared to Goku. That's how big he is, and that's why Goku needs the Nimbus to kind of fly up to his level. Yeah, it's an interesting exchange, too, because while we said that Yamcha was one of the first people to really stand up to Goku on a fairly even ground, Goku is putting in multiple attacks and multiple hits to the Ox King and the Ox King does not seem perturbed by it at all. So but, the Ox uh, King... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but the Ox King ends up kind of recognizing the Nimbus that Goku's riding around on. And he kind of asks, you know, where'd you get that from? He's like, oh, I got it from uh, the Turtle Hermes. He's like, oh, Master Roshi, uh, he used to be my master. And so we start kind of getting these connections between all these characters building up. And we also find out that Gohan was Roshi's first pupil and the Ox King was his second. Right. Which is, it's a big deal. That means that the Ox King, if not necessarily on the same level of Grandpa Gohan, is, you know, at least somewhere on par or similar. And so this kind of turns into the the fight here subsides and we get more of a discussion as the Ox King says that uh, he he'd like to speak with Master Roshi, or if if Goku and Balma know where Master Roshi is, Master Roshi should be able to use the Bansho fan to remove the flames from Fire Mountain. That sounds like an item from Zelda. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this feels like a Zelda or like a typical. <laughs> rpg quest right where mm. you gotta clear out this area of the dangerous hazard before you can actually go in and find the item that you need yeah and the item that we need is the dragon ball and goku agrees to go see master roshi and and to find the bancho fan if the, he gives up the dragon ball in his possession the 
Ox King also tacks on to his request and asks Goku to find his daughter, Chi-Chi, and then also asks if he would like to marry her. <laughs> it's kind of random, right? But... I'm like, why is this here? <laughs> I think that the Ox King more or less saw Goku's strength and power, but uh, I don't know. Maybe the Ox King is just constantly trying to marry off Chi-Chi. The other weird thing is, I think Goku and Chi-Chi here are both pretty dang young. Goku, I think, is something along the lines of seven years old at the beginning of the show. And Chi-Chi, I think, is comparable to that. Yeah, they I mean, they, they're little kids like they feel like little kids. They act like little kids, which we did get a scene with Chi-Chi uh, uh, kind of running away from some dinosaurs. And uh, Yamcha, who was following behind our gang, uh, ran across her and actually knocked her out and kind of left her in a field somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, and this is kind of a funny scene, but I wanted to point out right before Yamcha knocks her out, Chi-Chi is kind of screaming and running from this dinosaur, but she turns around throwing this blade off of her head at the dinosaur and chopping its head off and then using her helmet to fire a laser at the dinosaur <laughs> that blows it up, which is crazy. This was just like kind of violence out of nowhere. I do have a note about that. I was like, what What the hell just happened? <laughs> Decapitation is something you don't see very often in Dragon Ball. Yeah, this is wild. But it's also characterizing Chi-Chi where while she originally came across as this scared girl and damsel in distress, she's, she's pretty tough. She chopped a T-Rex's head off and blew it up with a laser. <laughs> yeah, she seems very strong but not maybe very brave i don't know <laughs> yeah it's a little bit weird i also wanted to note that this while i'm not positive you kind of get the impression that her helmet maybe is what fires the laser uh it, it almost feels like the precursor to key blast though which is like this is the first time that we see something akin to a key blast in dragon ball period which is mm. super interesting yeah we do get um after Yamcha overhears that Goku's going to be searching for his daughter or the Ox King's daughter, Chi-Chi, Yamcha puts it together that he may have knocked out Chi-Chi and left her in a field. And so he quickly runs ahead to revive her and then state that I think he's in love with her. And then she gets all starry eyed just for a moment, though, because Yamcha has to flee the scene because Goku arrives and grabs Chi-Chi and she's actually able to hop on the uh, the Nimbus cloud and ride it. So she's got a pure heart. Yeah, which is an important detail for her character too. Also, when she jumps on the cloud, she's basically crawling up and she tries to reach out to grab something to pull her up and it's Goku's tail. And this is the first time that we see that Goku's tail happens to be his weakness, and it basically paralyzes him and removes any power in his body, and he just goes limp. Yeah, and from here, we get the two flying off, and the episode ends with them kind of arriving at Kame House. Yeah, and that pretty much wraps this up. The only thing that I wanted to add there is that Yamcha also saw the tail grab and now knows what Goku's weakness is. That's true. That's that's a very important point. Um, and 
gosh, these episodes are so jam-packed full of stuff. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everybody. These are going to take us a while to get through because there's just so much content. Uh, unlike some of the Dragon Ball Super episodes that we've covered recently, these are dense. These are dense with just action, uh, story beats, character beats. It's a lot. And I think some of it might be because we've seen a lot of the future stuff. We kind of know the breadcrumbs to look for when we're watching this original content. So, I mean, there's a number of things in here. I don't even know if I would have taken a note on if I didn't realize how it pertained to the future. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that we are able to pick out a lot of different specific details that are going to be relevant moving forward. Lots of good foreshadowing, like mm. uh, like we got with Dr Dragon Ball Super. So, Speaking of foreshadowing, episode eight, Kame Senen's uh, Kamehameha. Hell yeah. I'm excited <laughs> for this one. So we uh we get Roshi kind of greeting Goku and Chi Chi as they arrive on the island. And we get this exchange where uh Goku and Chi Chi are asking Roshi for help, but Chi Chi doesn't believe that Roshi's the real deal and needs to prove that he's actually the master Roshi. And uh ends up just smashing him on the head with her helmet spike. And I thought this was going to be gruesome for a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, she hits him with kind of the flat or blunt side of the helmet blade. But she just full on blinds, blindsides Roshi. And Roshi turns around to block it. However, her blade cuts through his staff and whacks him right in the head. <laughs> oh, geez. But um, after <laughs> what I thought was going to be a very gory scene, um, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Roshi does decide to give them the Bancho fan, but he requires some payment for this magical item. Bulma needs to go on a stroll with him around the beach or something like that. And once again, it's Master Roshi being pervy. Oh, yeah, we get pervy Roshi on full display here. And so Goku more or less agrees, saying, oh, you know, it's just a walk. What's what's the big deal? She'll do that for sure. We also get like a little truth bomb kind of dropped here when I believe Turtle brings up that uh, Roshi has drank from the Fountain of Youth. Yeah, I didn't make a note of that, but that's a really good detail because Roshi talks about how he's at the end of his life and Turtle's like, nah, dude, you got plenty of years to live. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, crap. I was just like, well, that's just a crazy thing to kind of say just on the side. Yeah, yeah, I think that they're just trying to give that little nugget to the audience, which I like. And they also let us know that while Roshi is thinking about where the Bancho fan is, between him and Turtle, they determined that Roshi was using the Bancho fan as a placemat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and then he's, he spilled some juice on it, so it got sticky, and so he threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this legendary item? Nah, trash can. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Who needs that? You know, it's not like there's any mountain that needs to be put out or anything. <laughs> hey, but don't worry. Roshi's going to put out the fire himself. And so he summons his spinning rocket turtle and blasts off towards Fire Mountain. Baby Gamala, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. I love this. <laughs> but yeah, Goku basically offers for Roshi to ride on the Nimbus, but we know that Roshi can't. No. So he's like, nah, I got I got other means of transportation. And he's got a spinning <laughs> rocket turtle named Baby Gamala. <laughs> so Goku ends up beating Roshi back to Fire Mountain, 
but Roshi does eventually spin back onto the scene and then actually gives the Ox King a scolding over his violence over the thieves trying to steal his treasures. Kind of gives him like the old man wisdom, like you should know better. And the Ox King actually kind of like gets on all fours and almost like begs for forgiveness sort of thing. Yeah, we can definitely tell who is in the position of power here. And it's it's a really funny visual because Master Roshi is this small, scrawny old man. And the Ox King is this giant beast of muscle. And so it's it's funny to see the Ox King kind of groveling before Master Roshi and asking for forgiveness. Yeah, and you also get this kind of the the really big brutish guy being kind of a, a big softy at heart. I, It's funny. It's a trope, but it's funny. Yeah, and I mean, this is, you know, probably where partly where some of these tropes originated, honestly, because this came out back in the mid 80s. So mm-hmm. we also get Roshi throughout all of this. We've not seen Roshi do anything extravagant we've not seen him be impressive by any means he's gotten whacked by chi chi he's he basically fell over when he got off of his spinning mount and he's just kind of this scrawny pervy guy but everybody keeps saying that he's this master of martial arts and he's gonna put out this fire mountain so we're kind of eager to see what's gonna happen with him yeah and we get this well after uh, a pinky swear with bulma so that way she can't get out of uh, her walk with him. You, you got to respect the pinky swear. I mean, always. We see this kind of kind of shrivel old man as Roshi takes off his his uh, upper garment. And he's like, he looks kind of shriveled and not very impressive. And he's struggling to stand on a wall where he's he needs to perform his technique. And, yeah. you know, you're kind of filling with doubt. But suddenly you see him kind of take his stance and his kind of shriveled old form just begins bulking out and you see kind of like energy kind of glowing over his body and this blue aura completely surrounds him and at this point we see him pull his hands back in the patented Kamehameha pose and we get to see the very first Kamehameha wave in Dragon Ball I love this so much I my notes in here call him beefcake Roshi at this point. <laughs> so beefy, but... so dreamy. That Roshi's <laughs> so hot right now. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's hulked out. He's huge, powered with muscle. And this is this Kamehameha is really treated with respect. It's the first Kamehameha in the entire series. And it's delivered by the originator of the technique, Master Roshi. And for in 1986 anime, the animation for this is well done. Like the, the glowing aura that surrounds his body, the key that builds up in between his hands, and then the final blast that just delivers this light surrounding the area as it strikes the fire mountain. I really like this a lot. It's really good. I mean, it's a memorable Kamehameha, and it's going to stick with me. There, there are a few up there in the old noggin that I'll always kind of like think of when I think of the Kamehameha wave, but I think this one gets added to the list because you you know it was the first one, and you know that they they wanted it to be be a big deal, and it certainly felt like it. Yeah, absolutely. And so Master Roshi does successfully put out the fire. However, 
he also destroys the mountain and the castle atop the mountain. Uh, keep the change. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's a little bit of extra damage, a little bit of collateral there, but... <laughs> oh, well, the fire's out, and honestly, I, I do like that the Axe King was like, no, nah, it's cool, I can rebuild it. Like, I'm just glad the fire's out. <laughs> yeah, he just didn't even care, which is kind of funny, but... Uh, I mean, Roshi makes a comment that he's not as out of practice as he thought, um, yeah, which is pretty cool. And we get kind of a starry eyed Goku kind of staring up and like, can, can I do that? Can I learn that? And that's where Master Roshi delivers what should be bad news that it's going to take 50 years to learn, kid. And uh, Goku being Goku immediately turns and is able to perform a small Kamehameha wave knocking over their car and destroying it. Yeah, by comparison, I really like that we got to see Master Roshi's and then we get to compare it to the Kamehameha that Goku uses just minutes afterwards because the one that Goku uses is tiny. It basically puts a dent in the car and kind of like messes up the frame and it's just a very small beam, but the fact that Goku was able to watch Master Roshi perform the Kamehameha and then emulate it and m mimic it even on a smaller scale is crazy impressive and speaks a lot to Goku's prowess as a fighter, if not, you know, if not being the most intelligent person on the planet. This <laughs> these first 13 episodes are so packed with stuff. Oh my god. Yeah, we're on episode eight and hour and a half in. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about to be on episode nine because at this point, there's only a couple of things that really happened in this episode. We get Bulma convincing Oolong to shape shift and kind of take her place in her little deal with Master Roshi to go on that walk with her. And uh, Oolong decides to get a little revenge on Bulma by hardcore flirting with master roshi during their little walk yeah by hardcore flirting you mean full-on flashing his transformed boobies at master roshi <laughs> <laughs> what that's how i flirt <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i think we get another anime nosebleed from roshi and uh, pretty extravagantly and after the little date there balma is able to find and retrieve in the rubble of the castle the sixth Dragon Ball. So we're eight episodes in and our group already has six of seven Dragon Balls. Hey, that's almost and, a Dragon Ball an episode. Yeah, man, we're we're moving at a pretty rapid pace here. And mm -hmm. then there's just one little detail as our heroes leave Fire Mountain where Chi-Chi seems to be falling for Goku and just asks him if he's going to think of her in the future. <laughs> and Goku, obviously not understanding what that means, says, yeah, are you going to think of me? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how, you know, people work. They, like, yeah, they I'll probably think people. of you. Will you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking this? Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> uh, just like this. Oh, man, we'll talk about it later. But I love this level of like kind of naive, awkward Goku because it's so fitting. It's it's very appropriate here, but I think mm. that pretty much takes us to the next episode. Yes, which is episode nine, the Boss Rabbit's special skill. So we're going to call him Boss Rabbit just 
let's clarify this. <laughs> yes. Well, so just to be clear, I believe the dub calls him Monster Carrot. However, I think the original <laughs> name was Boss Rabbit, and that's what sticks in my head. So. <laughs> At least Boss Rabbit makes sense. Monster Carrot is... <laughs> It's a little awkward. Maybe it was a way to fit the mouth flaps or something. Who knows? But boss rabbit it is. But we'll get the boss rabbit. But first we get kind of our heroes traveling through the mushroom forest, which is kind of a cool environment. I don't know. Um, I'm also glad they never explain any of this stuff. It's just there and you experience it. But we get some more shots of Yamcha and Poir kind of following behind. And they need to refuel their vehicle because they're about to run out of gas and they come across a town and once again, things don't go normal. As they enter the town, people are kind of recoiling in fear and acting awkward. And uh, what they kind of figure out is that it's Balma's um, rabbit ears that are causing kind of a commotion in the town. Right. So Balma is trying to get gas, capsules, clothes. People are just kind of giving her stuff and acting afraid. And she eventually, once she changes clothes into this new, what I refer to as Genie Balma, because she's got kind of like an I Dream of Genie look to her now, she ends up taking off the bunny ears, and the merchant is angry, thinking that she was posing as part of the rabbit gang. I'd also like to point out the uh, (laughs) the voice acting for the side characters in this episode, because oof, just oof. Yeah, I I definitely made a mental note of it, if not making a physical note, but they're real bad. <laughs> I have to point it out this episode because in some of the other episodes, it was kind of like, meh, not impressive, but whatever. This episode, it like it stands out like a sore thumb. This is some this is probably the worst voice acting in the first 13 episodes. I'll say that pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah, very confidently. It, it's pretty bad, but they, they're they obvious side characters. They're not important, but they clearly treat them as such, too. Mm. So. But we basically get the rabbit gang shows up in town after the our protagonists kind of learn about them. So it's two guys with rabbit ears on their heads, and they're beating up civilians, taking their goods, taking their money, and they eventually end up hitting on Balma. And Balma's kind of shooting them down. And as a result, they end up threatening the group. Uh, they pull out guns to threaten our protagonists. And so Balma, or so yeah, Balma asks Goku to put them down. Yeah, and uh Goku does very quickly. <laughs> it pretty much takes Goku just kind of one move a pop to bop them and then kind of down and out the two rabbit gang members decide to call in the big guns and the boss is now on the way. Yeah. So our protagonists kind of wait around for a while. There's nothing really happening. Most of the civilians are hiding in their homes and eventually this extravagant looking vehicle comes driving up with these big bunny ears on the top of it. And out pops what Oolong, I think, describes as a circus performer with this humanoid rabbit wearing just this patterned gi or kimono or whatever you want to call it. But he looks wild and crazy with this big collar. Yeah, it definitely caught me off guard when the boss of the rabbits was a giant rabbit. 
and he rolls around in a rabbit mobile that reminds me of the car from Dumb and Dumber. But <laughs> upon arriving, he pretty much is all business and he immediately turns his attention towards the party. And he kind of approaches threateningly and then in a sudden change of, I guess, intensity, offers his hand out and says like, all right, shake my hand. And Bulma, of course, like not wanting any part of it, decides to smack his hand away. And this reveals Boss Rabbit's superpower. If you touch him, you turn into a carrot. So Bulma is transformed into a carrot. And Goku is quick to try to attack the rabbit. But Oolong points out that if he touches the rabbit, he himself will turn into a carrot. So Goku pulls out his power pole and goes to fight him. But then the rabbit says that he will eat the carrot, this Bulma carrot, if Goku continues to attack him. And that's just playing dirty. And at this point, Goku's kind of defenseless and the gang members kind of start beating up on him. But at this point, we kind of pan over and we see a Yamcha and Poir kind of overlooking from a corner. And they decide that this is not a fair fight and they're going to jump in and help. Poir transforms into a bird. And while Boss Rabbit is distracted, decides to fly by and pluck the carrot from his hand, kind of pulling Bulma to safety. Right. And so with that, Yamcha also saves Goku from the two rabbit gang guys who are beating up on him at this point. And they basically have a fight over trying to retrieve the Balma carrot and eventually leaping into the air to catch this carrot. Goku is able to knock it out of Boss Rabbit's grasp with the power pole and retrieve the carrot. Uh, however, at this point, Poir has knocked herself out running into a tree and is lying at the feet of Boss Rabbit and is now the new victim of Boss Rabbit's touch, potentially. Yeah, and <clears throat> we get... um. Oh boy. Yeah, we're getting towards the end of this uh, this episode here, and uh, we get a couple events. We get Goku kind of rescuing the carrot, and we get him kind of whacking carrot boss. Uh, right. And with this threat, um, Goku threatens to keep whacking him unless he turns everyone back. Bulma's no longer a carrot, and the day is saved. Yamcha once again hints at his crush on Bulma, and we get Bulma kind of hinting at her crush on Yamcha, which is adorable. Yeah, this is pretty fun. And so after Poir is saved with Goku beating up Boss Rabbit, the Goku takes Boss Rabbit and the Rabbit Gang on his power pole that he extends up, up, up into the sky and he then reveals after coming back down that he took Boss Rabbit and the gang members to the moon. To the moon! And left them there to create treats for the children of Earth. And once they create enough treats for all the children of Earth, he can bring them back down. <laughs> uh, it's like, you're kind of a bully in turning people into carrots. You can spend all of eternity on the moon. <laughs> yeah this is great they start making these marshmallow snacks and i mean this this feels kind of like you described with the ox king dayton this feels again like another 
like a folk tale almost like there's a rabbit on the moon who makes treats for kids and stuff. <laughs> it, it feels very extravagant and adventure story esque. I mean, they're, I feel like they're going to try and tie Goku into every, every old myth or something like that. Like he's going to have his little, little touch, his little flair on it. It's kind of what I feel like too. I did also want to point out, I mentioned this to Dayton before the podcast, but in Team Four Stars, Dragon Ball Z abridged, there's a little conversation between Cell and Trunks where Cell is explaining the exploits of Goku. And the last one that he settles on is, by your age, Goku had already sent a rabbit to the moon. And Trunks is like, you're making that last one up, aren't you? (laughs) Uh, I don't even remember catching that, but... When I inevitably rewatch it, I will definitely get it. <laughs> I love it. It's a, it's a great reference. And anybody who hasn't seen Dragon Ball is probably like, what? But the people who have watched the original are like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> but I believe um, that brings us into the next episode, which is episode 10. The Dragon Balls are stolen. And we get uh, more Balma, Goku, and Oolong kind of driving down the road with Yancha and Puar kind of tailing behind. And right now, they bring up that they currently have six of the Dragon Balls, and they have the final Dragon Ball just ahead of them, which is in the possession of Emperor Pilaf. So at this point, it looks like the two parties are kind of at a crash course uh, collision against each other. And uh, yeah, we get some Emperor Pilaf shenanigans with Pilaf pressuring Mai to fix their Dragon Radar, and Mai once again using her... Not once again, but once again, women using their w- womenisms to flirt their way out of situations. Yeah, and that's going to be common theme with this show moving forward. But Mai basically fixes the radar. They get a reading on Goku and gang with the Dragon Balls. And so they go to meet them in the desert and we kind of get a scene where Balma and Oolong are fighting about the wish that Balma is going to use to going to make using the dragon balls with her desire to get a perfect boyfriend. And so Oolong wants a wish that will benefit all of them, but Balma is kind of unwilling to relent here. And in that scene, the car is shot with a rocket from the Pilaf robot that are, spies have kind of used to track down the Goku and gang. Yeah. And there's this big explosion and the gang are kind of knocked from their vehicle and kind of in the momentary chaos, we get Shu jumping in claiming that he's going to repossess the dragon balls and he grabs the suitcase full of them. Then he says, thank you suckers. And then kind of jumps off and flees the scene. And the whole time Goku just stands there and watch him, watches him do it. <laughs> yeah, Goku doesn't really understand things very well, so he's a little slow to react. But Balma asks him to chase after the thief, and Goku does so on his Nimbus, but Shu leaves the robot and gets into a plane with Mai with the Dragon Balls and leaves the shell of the robot for Goku to find. Yeah, and once again, I love this scene because Goku kind of arrives and he recognizes the robot as the one that that stole the Dragon Balls from them. But once again, he doesn't really understand what a robot is. And so he pulls out his power pole and he takes a defensive stance and he demands that the monster give back the Dragon Balls. And after a couple of pokes, 
He does determine, though, that the monster is dead, so there's nothing to worry about anymore. I mean, it's not moving, and he knocked it over, so it must be dead, right? It must be dead. And with this knowledge, Goku returns to Bulma, and Bulma is not happy because that th- there are no Dragon Balls. All of the Dragon Balls are still gone, and Goku came back with basically nothing at this point. Except they still have one Dragon Ball in their possession, which is the four-star ball that Goku keeps on himself for sentimental reasons. Right. And so we know that even if the Pilaf gang has the rest of the Dragon Balls, they cannot summon the dragon because Goku has the four star. And so this turns into Yamcha eventually coming out to aid Goku and gang to give them a ride. Again, his goal is to help them get the Dragon Balls so that he can use them for himself. And so... They ride along with Yamcha, Balma pulling out the dragon radar and tracking them down to Pilaf's castle. Yeah, and we get um, a big, nice shot of the entire castle and the gang kind of cautiously approaching. And and as they enter, it's these big, heavy doors that they have to push through. And you kind of get this kind of Pilaf isn't hiding kind of his ambition or his his I don't know goofiness either at the same time because it it's kind of a typical looking almost like a D&D dungeon as they enter inside of it where there's like bats and spiders and creepy things and everything's made out of this like like rough cobblestone and stuff like that it's kind of hilarious yeah it very much feels like something you'd see in D&D or even like Minecraft or something but in addition to that our protagonists are met with multiple traps as these pillars begin to shoot up from the ground, down from the ceiling, out from the walls. And Goku and Yamcha are trying to break the pillars as they come out. And Yamcha has an opportunity to save Balma as Balma is almost crushed between the pillar and the ceiling. He knocks the pillar down and saves her. However, he is still afraid of girls as Balma tries to latch on to him and thank him. And he kind of shoves her away from him. Oh, <laughs> uh, they, they do a good job of making this relationship as awkward as possible. It's really awkward, but this is kind of the character arc that we're getting between these two. And our episode more or less wraps up with the next trap, which is our protagonist kind of, follow these arrows on the ground to this dead end and the dead end then has a wall that slides down behind them trapping them into this cell i don't know why but i love that they made they made this as silly as they could make it they followed the arrows to a trap (laughs) yeah even our characters are saying out loud Nah, this is too obvious. This can't be a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no way. There's no way they would make a trap this obvious. Yeah. (laughs) But But they certainly did. (laughs) They get trapped in their cell with their their wall kind of popping up behind them, and they are now stuck. And that ends that episode and leads us into episode 11. Finally, the dragon appears, which already that name was getting me hype. Yeah, I'm excited for this, but we we continue in Pilaf's castle. They can't break free from the reinforced walls here, and 
we get a little TV screen with Pilaf showing up to say that he wants to steal their Dragon Ball. And Bulma is quick to insult Pilaf. And as a result, she gets taken by this mechanical arm, removed from the room and taken to where Pilaf is. And she's still, even as she's faced with imminent danger by this little dwarf uh, i don't i don't even know what he is little elf goblin looking thing uh he she continues to flick him off and refuses to comply and so <laughs> that line that she makes is really funny too <laughs> oh i don't even remember she ba- oh she says something along the lines of oh yeah i think the dragon ball's up here as she's flicking <laughs> yeah. him off pilaf's like where are the magic balls at she goes well my magic finger says it's somewhere up in the ceiling as she's flicking yeah. him off <laughs> <laughs> that's good i'm glad you made a note of that that was a good line <laughs> also in the dub there is a mo- or a reference to the movie airplane in the scene <laughs> i don't even know what that movie is what is uh, it's an old movie or not super old but it's 1980 um and there's a scene where um surely you can't do this or something like that he goes i think i can and stop calling me Shirley. well pilaf makes the same joke in this scene <laughs> oh shit you're right i didn't even <laughs> notice that <laughs> Uh, I had a good chuckle. I was like, was that an airplane reference? That's funny. You know, I caught that joke, but I didn't even make that connection. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. That probably was an airplane reference. So, I mean, I mean, you know, like that was a popular, very popular movie in the 80s. So it makes sense that they had a little fun and referenced it in late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, most likely the dub team kind of took that over and referenced that in the 90s. But yeah, that is funny we kind of move forward with Balma more or less getting, uh, getting tortured by Pilaf as Pilaf blows her a kiss. And then she continues to insult him saying he's the worst torturer ever. And he's an amateur. And then he throws her back into the cell. Yeah. Obviously very upset, but at this point, Pilaf finally comes up with a good idea, which is to, give our heroes the gas and he pumps their prison full of yellow fumes that knock them all in conscience. And that results in Pilaf as well as Shu and Mai open up the door to the cell. Pilaf walks in and forgets his gas mask and <laughs> knocks himself out. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. So Shu has to drag him back to his chambers while Mai performs the, the search of the snoozing party finding the seventh and final Dragon Ball. So at this point, the gang kind of wakes back up and they realize that the seventh Dragon Ball is missing and the door to their cell is open at this point, which was kind of crazy. I guess Mai forgot to close it on her way out. And so they start making their way out of their cell. They start escaping and they end up running into Pilaf and his henchmen who were not expecting Goku and party. No, they start arguing about who should have closed the door on their way out. (laughs) And they do, the Pilaf gang ends up escaping because they are kind of running through almost this maze or labyrinth of tunnels. And they get to a control room of sorts where Pilaf is then launching our party into a literal pinball machine that bounces them around with this giant metal pinball trying to crush them as it moves through the pinball table. Yeah. And like after 
running through like a labyrinth of different tunnels with these giant pinballs chasing them around. They are eventually led right back to their starting point and are locked in the same prison that they were locked in originally. Yes. So we kind of come full circle there. And it turns out that Goku has an idea for getting them out. And that is the Kamehameha. So he fires one off against the wall and he's able to blow a small hole through the wall, but not big enough for him or the others to get out, except for our two shapeshifters. Yeah, and at this point, with the Eternal Dragon being summoned, they kind of have this last-ditch little effort where they get Poir and Oolong to transform into bats or bird-like creatures and try and steal the Dragon Balls before... Uh, Oolong can make his, not Oolong, before Pilaf can make his wish. And so they kind of have their last ditch effort right now planned. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out that we do at the very tail end, get the first summoning of Shenron. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't show it in its entirety. However, it is pretty cool animation with the the light and the lightning as the dragon comes and emerges from the balls. And we get the light shining off the Pilaf gang's faces. It shows up-close shots of body parts of the dragon, of the arm and the face. And all of this is shown in kind of this silhouette as the dragon has these red glowing eyes. And... I thought this was really cool. Again, this is the first use of the Dragon Balls and the first summoning of Shenron. So I got really excited to see these again in their entirety. And they do an excellent job of really giving Shenron scale. Because that's something yeah. that sometimes I feel like they they lose in Dragon Ball Z and even Super, if we're not counting the, the Super Duper Dragon. Um, <laughs> but like... They, a lot of the shots are kind of this from below looking up at him. Like he almost reaches up to the cloud sort of thing. And just, I love the scale they gave Shenron. I really needed to bring that up because I, I thought it was important because he is kind of a larger than life thing. And they actually made him feel like that in this. I agree. I also like the way that they portray him in making him feel very, very ominous almost. He feels kind of almost threatening in a little a little bit at least in the images that they present to you but he he seems magnificent extravagant and so i i like that about him in this first summoning and i love how everyone's almost kind of in awe over his mere presence it's they make him a big deal rather than just a reoccurring character exactly and so we kind of move forward, I think, to episode 12. Yes, the wish to Shenron. And we get a brief moment of uh, Pilaf kind of daydreaming over his uh, his wish to rule the world before the Eternal Dragon kind of knocks him out of it and asks for his wish. And we get Pilaf kind of hesitating to make his wish at this point, kind of taking his time and building up the gumption. But this proves to be kind of his downfall because he's trampled over by Oolong, who decides to wish for the most comfortable pair of underwear in the whole world. 
And after a tense delay, you see a poof and a pair of women's underwear start falling from the sky. (laughs) I I will say this is referenced a lot in the future Dragon Ball episodes because I like I know this was referenced at least a few times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love this. I also want to point out that the dub goes out of its way to describe this differently. I'm almost certain that the original Japanese Oolong specifically wishes for women's panties. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That actually makes a lot of sense considering everything that's happened up to this. But why would they change that, though, and allow everything else? I, I have no idea. That is like a weird measure of censorship. Uh, and I mean, you can even they're women's panties, man. Like they're visually women's panties. <laughs> There's no mistaking it for anything else. No, like, <laughs> I wish for a hat is maybe what they should have gone with, considering oh, how he would, wears them. I would have lost it if that was the censorship that they put on there. <laughs> uh, but. The wish is made and the Dragon Balls fly up into the air and are once more scattered across the earth. The one wish is used up on women's underwear. Yeah, and I also want to point out there's a really great line of dialogue from Oolong as he's running up to make this wish. And he specifically says, I don't want to be a hero. But in doing this, he literally, well, we get a nice piece of dialogue complimenting that from Yamcha as Yamcha says, I think that little pervert just saved the world. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> oh, geez. But we do get um, Goku finally breaking down their prison door by using multiple Kamehameha's. But at this point, he's too exhausted to even flee from the scene from Pilaf's gun happy henchmen. We get Yamcha kind of throwing Goku over his shoulder and carrying him off. But in the whole chaos of everything, Shu decides to whistle for doggy backup. And our (laughs) heroes are attacked by packs of dogs. Yeah, yeah, they they whistle for attack dogs. Mai and Shu uh, eventually using the dogs as kind of a distraction are able to capture the group at gunpoint because Goku is too exhausted from all of the Kamehamehas and lack of food. And Yamcha being the only one able to defend them gives up and lets the group be captured and placed into a new and improved holding cell. Yeah. And this holding cell, it, um, it's Pilaf's kind of personal creation. The idea is that it bakes whoever's inside of it with the power of the sun. It's made out of three foot thick steel walls and is pretty much inescapable. Goku decides to test this by bonking his head against the roof of it and to no avail. Well, unless he was trying to get a bump on his head, but that's about all that happens. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good shot. And eventually... Balma reveals while they're kind of trapped in the cell, Balma reveals to the rest of the group that now the Dragon Balls are inert. They're going to be turned to normal stones for the next year. So they won't be able to immediately retrieve them again and make a wish upon them. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, it's something that 
they at least tried to hold true to for quite a while the kind of the cooldown on the Dragon Balls. And I do kind of like that because the second you make a wish, why wouldn't you just collect them and make another wish? So it's kind of a nice little fail safe in there. I like that too. Uh, anybody who's been keeping up with the Dragon Ball manga will know that Dragon Balls that don't have a cooldown are a problem. <laughs> yeah, but this this big reveal pretty much takes us right into another big reveal. And it starts off with Poir kind of pointing out the full moon. And Goku just makes a comment that uh, you should be careful because a full moon is when the monster comes out. And he mentions that his grandpa Gohan was trampled to death by the monster. His house was destroyed and all the trees in his area flattened. Grandpa Gohan also told Goku to never look at the full moon. And the rest of the party kind of figures out what's going on here pretty quickly. I like this scene a lot because Goku is completely unaware of what this means, but everybody else understands that Goku clearly went through some sort of transformation and turned into a monster, killing his own grandfather by mistake and not really understanding what happened or what that meant. Kind of looking to test this theory, the the group convinces Goku to look up at the the full moon. And after a moment of calmness, Goku kind of loses control of his body. He starts trembling and his arms start kind of beefing up. And then you see him kind of hulking out of his shirt and he starts turning into the colossal ape that we all know and love. Yeah, I like the way that this is done, too, because Balma yells at him like, don't look at the moon. It's right above you. And he's like, huh, what? And then there's a pause or there's, you know, some time that passes. And Goku's like, I don't really see what the big deal is. And everybody's like, oh, shoot. And then he starts to transform. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And once again, like this, the show is just moving along. And that takes us right into episode 13, which is. Goku's great transformation and we get the kind of the the completion of Goku's what's it called the Azaro or something like that Azaru yeah or the great ape form in the dub I think is what they call it so we get uh the the full Azaru form Goku kind of losing control and beginning his rampage tearing Pilaf's castle just completely apart we get some scenes with uh kind of Pilaf Mai and Shu kind of waking up from their slumber and trying to fight off the the great ape with slippers and lamps and stuff like that. <laughs> That's pretty fun as they uh, basically fail to dissuade the beast and they try to escape in a plane and get the heck out of there. And I don't blame them because, oh my God, great apes are pretty darn powerful when you're just a regular dude. Yeah, this feel this feels very King Kong almost as this great ape Goku is just knocking off pieces of building, destroying ceilings. The good thing here, though, is that Ozaru Goku burst out of the cell, the holding cell where his friends were, and they are now free to do as they want. Yeah, and so... Yamcha and Balma and Poir and Oolong start making their way out of there, kind of helping each other out a lot, helping each other out. Balma gets knocked down a couple times and Yamcha is the big manly stud who's able to lift her off the ground. And 
kind of awkwardly hold her like rather than like in his arms he just kind of holds her on the side like luggage which i guess is still kind of sweet in, in a way yeah and this is an important detail though for his character right because he's been petrified every single time that he's seen balma either seeing her naked or touching her or anything like that yamcha's kind of gone into this state of uh, almost like a coma but in this moment when balma hurts her ankle and she needs the help yamcha snatches her up and saves her even though it's you know kind of unceremonious but he does so just as a piece of rubble falls immediately where Balma's body was. So for all those people who think that Yamcha is a joke, this is Yamcha being a hero. Mm -hmm. right here. Yeah. He was actually brave and he kind of funnily did what he needed to do. We do get uh Pilaf and gang who were zooming away in their plane, deciding that, this monkey is really going to destroy their insurance premiums. So they have to go back and save the castle. <laughs> and so we get this plane flying back around, kind of firing bullets at monkey Goku and Goku. Once again, King Kong swinging at Pilaf. And we get this scene where they fire once again, a pretty cartoony heat seeking missile at Goku. And it actually kind of hits him and knocks him to the ground. And it, he appears to be unconscious and, the the day for a moment seems like it's one yeah and to be clear goku does not seem to have his wits about him what little wits he normally has but he's he's attacking and destroying without any concern for friend or foe and in this moment pilaf and his crew have kind of saved everybody from this monster really but they get out of their plane and they go over to kind of check on the monster. And Pilaf is basically like kicking the big monkey and stomping and jumping on his tail. And this wakens the unconscious Goku. And he is even more angry. Yeah, they Pilaf quickly realizes he done screwed up. And so Pilaf and henchmen jump into their plane and they attempt to get the hell out of Dodge. But at this point, Monkey Goku's not having any part of it and actually picks up a large chunk of rubble and knocks their plane right out of the sky. Yeah, and so our Pilaf gang is kind of out of commission. We cut back to Yamcha and crew and we find that they're basically getting ready to get the hell out of there. But... Balma has been trapped under a piece of this rubble that Goku has launched throughout the area. And Goku in his big monkey form is lumbering over to try and hurt them, kill them, eat them, whatever. And so Yamcha has to once again, go against this problem that he's had with attractive women. And he has to lift this, big piece of rubble to release Balma and save her. But that turns into Goku grabbing Balma and getting ready to eat her. Yeah. And we get this kind of tense moment where Balma is about to be eaten and Yamcha has to think quick. And that's when Poir kind of pipes in, reminds Yamcha of Goku's uh, tail weakness. And Yamcha, I thought this was badass. Yamcha quickly fashions a sword out of the rubble using martial arts, which I thought was cool as hell. 
and he attempts to detail Goku, but he ends up breaking his improvised weapon in the process. But this happens to be just enough of a distraction for Poir to turn into a large pair of scissors and ultimately cut off Goku's tail, reverting him back into his little baby Goku form, revealing his little pee-pee. Yep. Uh, we can't go two episodes without some Goku wiener. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this kind of resolves the conflict here. Goku is removed from his great ape form and is unconscious. We basically pass some time to Goku waking up and he's kind of asking, you know, like, hey, what what happened? And eventually finds that he's having a hard time walking or balancing because he no longer has a tail and he's gotten so accustomed to balancing with this tail behind him. They it's also important to point out, too, that before Goku had woken up, they decided to hide the fact that he's a giant monster because in his story, he killed his grandpa and they thought it would be just too heartbreaking for him to learn that. Yeah, this is interesting. It's it's funny, too, because knowing what we know about the future of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. I'm sure that Goku is aware that he, as well as the other Saiyans, turn into this form. But I don't know that they ever really cover the fact that he comes to terms with the fact that he was probably the creature or the person that murdered his own grandfather. I wonder if they'll do it in, in Dragon Ball here or not. I Like I said, I haven't really seen this stuff, so I wonder if they'll touch on it or not. There's a moment in my mind that they might actually touch on it. I can't remember if they do, uh, but it, it does have to do with Grandpa Gohan. So they they might actually cover it. I love it, though. I love the storytelling. It's so good. Yeah, it's a great character beat for Goku. And I want to talk about that a little bit more as we wrap up this last episode. But we, our group comes to terms with the fact that they can't track down the Dragon Balls because they are now stoned for the next year. And so coming to that realization, Balma realizes she won't be able to wish for a boyfriend and Yamcha realizes he won't be able to wish to not be afraid of girls. But they both kind of come to this realization that maybe they don't need the Dragon Balls because they've got each other. Yes, and we get some, I would say, light romance between Yamcha and Balma that absolutely sickens Oolong. So we get some funny commentary out of him. But at this point, uh, Goku decides that what he wants to do for the next year is actually go train with Master Roshi. And he says he wants to do this because if someone was strong enough to come along and destroy Pilaf's castle and he couldn't even make it shake with his punches, then he needs to get much stronger. Uh, Goku also mentions that he would like to look for the Dragon Balls because he would like to find the four star ball, which was the only gift his grandpa Gohan had given down to him. But Bulma, not needing to use the Dragon Balls anymore, hands over the Dragon Radar over to Goku. Yeah, and this is a this is a big deal. This is I mean, within this 13 episodes we're we're kind of wrapping up this adventure that Goku and Balma and then the rest of them have kind of come along and 
the party is splitting up now at this point. So Balma says that she's going to go back to the city and she ends up taking Yamcha, Poir, and Oolong all with her. However, our main protagonist, Goku, is going to go see Master Roshi and take this dragon radar with him. Yeah, and it kind of wraps up right there. You even get kind of the still shot at the end with everyone kind of going their own direction and stuff like that. But yeah, that more or less wraps up the 13 episodes. And I got to say, the end of the 13th episode, it really made me feel like this was almost like a like a pilot series or a proof of concept or something like that, because this really felt like it was the like the end of something. Right. Yeah. And this is. For a lot of anime, 13 episodes is basically a single season, and this is 13 episodes, so it it does very much feel like they were going to run this part of the story, see how things went, and then, if it was successful, move forward from there. And I think clearly in Japan, it was successful because they moved forward. I know the reception in America when it first came out was not so good, which is why a lot of people in the States have seen Dragon Ball Z before seeing Dragon Ball, because that's kind of how they got released. Yeah, and I'd like to take a minute just to kind of give my overall feelings of these 13 episodes, because these they moved along so quick, it was almost hard for me to stop and digest like singular pieces or moments because of how quickly things were happening. And right off the bat, I'd like to say that after watching Super, coming into this, even though the animation quality obviously isn't as high or high budget or anything like that, there's a certain level of consistency that I do appreciate. There aren't very many scenes that feel like the animation is out of place. There's a couple, but there aren't very many, and I really liked that that consistency. I definitely felt the same. I think I was telling Dayton before we started recording that there are absolutely scenes that use or reuse animation. And one of the the big the big ones that sticks in my mind is Yamcha's Wolf Fang Fist, in that that animation, each time he uses that attack or that technique, it's the same animation. It's the same thing used over and over and over. And while that's that's absolutely fine, I know that we have complained or at least criticized in the past Dragon Ball Super for doing the same thing where they reuse animation. But I mean, we're we're also comparing something from the 1980s to something from the late 2010s. So I feel like 1980s gets a little bit more leeway there, especially in the first 13 episodes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to cut it a little bit more slack considering... There's been decades of technological improvements, and I I couldn't find the numbers, but I I could probably say pretty confidently that Dragon Ball Super probably has more budget and animation workers and quality behind making Super than, I guess, original Dragon Ball would have had behind its creation, considering it was the first of its form. Oh, yeah, 100%. There's no doubt about it. And... I think for me, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the overall story as well as character story arcs in this first 13 episodes, because this first arc, the Son Goku arc or the Pilaf arc, is 
it's doing something very different than a lot of the other arcs in Dragon Ball or just in the the whole series. And it's, I mean, not only is it setting up the world, it's setting up the characters, but it's also taking us through this, this journey and really this story arc that kind of starts and then ends at this end of the 13th episode, particularly for characters like Bulma and Yamcha, where Bulma wanted to find these magical orbs so that she could get a reasonable relationship to get the perfect boyfriend is what she thought she wanted. And going through this journey, she realized it was the friends you made along the way. Exactly. Right. (laughs) She didn't need these magical orbs to get this perfect boyfriend, or maybe she didn't need the perfect boyfriend, but she just needed, you know, somebody who was a good match for her. And then Yamcha as well, uh, kind of on the flip side of that, was afraid of women. And by putting himself through this adventure and through these kind of harrowing situations, he overcame that fear and he grew as a person. So I I really like that we get these, uh, while they are, you know, simple and even kind of goofy story arcs, they are clear, concise and we get a start to the story arc and a finish to the story arc we get that and everyone gets a little bit of progression right like Mm -hmm. oolong and poir pretty much hated each other and by the end of it they can tolerate each other at least so that's moving in a better direction goku is now confidently going out into the world and meeting new people and not just living his life in a shack he's kind of experiencing what life has to offer and that's progression for him as well Yes, I agree. Oolong is actually another one that I I really like because he is the entire time that we are with Oolong, he is a coward. He is self-centered. He's only focused on himself and what good can come of these scenarios for him. And he at the very end is the one person who can stop Pilaf from ruling the world And basically saves everyone. So I think that that's another example of Akira Toriyama trying to flip tropes on their head uh, or trying to kind of misdirect the audience a little bit, maybe, where Oolong is basically the last person that we as the audience would expect to be the one to save the day at the tail end of Mm. this. I do enjoy it. And I mean, it's... They, they're they really up front with or these episodes are really up front with the fact that they're lighthearted, that it's going to be an adventure. And they do a good job of every episode's taking you somewhere new, meeting new people, doing something that I, I guess that we haven't done in the last episode. And I do like it. I like the pacing's really quick, but I like it. It makes an, an interesting watch. And I knew to come into this knowing that this was going to be kind of a, a more cartoony, lighthearted thing. And and. Honestly, it's living up to my expectations so far. I'm pretty happy with it. That's good. I'm I'm glad that you're enjoying it since it's more or less your kind of first run through it. And it's kind of giving me a reinvigorated love for the series as well as kind of reminding me what it was like at its roots and kind of the core of the show and the story. I mean this first story arc is basically like a a very traditional hero's journey, right? I think a lot of people use Star Wars as kind of a, a touchstone for the traditional hero's journey. And 
in a lot of ways, Goku and Luke Skywalker have a lot of similarities here where they are just kind of living this simple life. And there's this sort of call to action with, you know, Luke Skywalker gets the call to action from Obi-Wan where here Goku gets the call to action from Balma, where Goku is entrusted with protecting Balma and going on this adventure to find these dragon balls and learn and grow as a person and become a better martial artist. And so and I, I like that Star Wars comparison a lot because both Goku and Luke Skywalker really hadn't experienced anything about the universe. So you're kind right. of following them through their adventures, through their eyes, and you're experiencing the world with them. And I really like that. Yeah, me too. And again, it's it's simple. It, it's it's a very traditional hero's journey, but it also came out in the mid '80s, and it's uh, I think that Dragon Ball is what has influenced a lot of media that has followed it, even up to this day, one hundred percent. So it's it's fun to see where it all started. It is really fun. And I'm definitely going to be um, I'm going to give more leeway to this series because it, it is the original. It is from the 80s. And I'm going to look through things to, with that in mind. I'm going to have kind of that those rose tinted glasses on a little bit more with this than maybe I would something more recently because, I, you know, it was creating something brand new. There wasn't a lot for the original Dragon Ball series to go off of. And most of it was original ideas. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I'm really, even after this first arc, I'm really enjoying watching the original Dragon Ball. It's, it's very much impressing me with the way that it handles characters and story arcs and everything. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited, especially because I think that this arc, if I remember right, might be my least favorite in. Oh, shoot. Oh, you're laying it out there, huh? Yeah. So. I'm pretty pumped to get to the next story arc and see where this goes. Heck yeah. So I guess stay tuned because we'll definitely be covering it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you have, I know Dayton that you had mentioned and you kind of did, you had mentioned you wanted to compare this a little bit to Dragon Ball Super since we just covered that and finished that. Was there anything else that you had that you wanted to compare or touch on? Just a couple things where Super felt like it was trying to draw on some of these, these old strings uh, with Dragon Ball and trying to get that same kind of experience. But after watching at least these 13 episodes of Dragon Ball, I feel like Super kind of fell short in a lot of ways because it it was trying to be lighthearted and kind of silly, but also at the same time, it was putting the fate of the universe on the line and just, I don't know what it was, but those things just don't mix super well with me, at least not in the formula that they were trying to put together. No, I agree. And anyone who's watched Dragon Ball Z knows that Dragon Ball Z has a much more serious tone while it can be silly at times it feels like there is the stakes are always high there's always a lot of danger for people dying being hurt whatever the case is for the world being destroyed for the universe being destroyed and as we go through dragon ball we'll see the the tone change and those stakes change even in the original dragon ball as it kind of moves forward and becomes a little bit more serious and both dragon ball super and dragon ball gt 
tried to take a step back from that serious tone and capture some of that magic that was the original Dragon Ball in its adventure and humor. And Dragon Ball had already kind of moved beyond that, honestly, in Dragon Ball Z. It it, it just didn't work in either series, in my opinion. Well, also, I think it's... It, the reason why it works doing it the way they did it is because when you're a kid and like things are a lot more lighthearted and fun and I don't know, maybe maybe you've got those fond memories of when you were young or something like that. And then you kind of grow up and you are put out into the world and you start figuring things out. And I mean, I like that pacing going from just like a kid on an adventure to all right, well, now he has responsibilities and stuff is getting real. Right. And that's a good point. And I'm going to make another connection to Harry Potter. The Harry Potter books kind of start a little bit lighter and move progressing to a little bit darker, more serious tone. And I think a lot of people, I know especially people in our age group, kind of grew up with those books. And over time, as they got older and they wanted something a little bit more serious, the tone of the books became more serious. And I imagine a lot of people who grew up with Dragon Ball had a similar experience where they kind of watched the original Dragon Ball as kids, but then moved to more serious tone in Dragon Ball Z with a little bit more adult themes and stakes. And that's kind of how they grew to... They grew with the show, basically. Yeah, I think... I think it works as a progression. I don't think it works as a as a degression or however you want to call it. Like it's yeah. I I don't I love that they're making more Dragon Ball. I love that we have new Dragon Ball content, but I kind of want to keep going in the direction that we've been going this whole time rather than going backwards. Yeah, I agree. I while I'm really enjoying going back and seeing where it all started and kind of getting this different tone I very much appreciate that the tone of Dragon Ball gets more serious and progressive. Yes, and, absolutely. And all of that kind of moves forward through Dragon Ball Z. But for the most part, that's all I have to say about this first story arc that we've covered with Dragon Ball. Did you have anything to add to tonight's topic here, Dayton? Uh, no, I think we've discussed everything we need to talk about, and I'm looking forward to keeping going down this road especially if if it does get that more serious note that you're talking about because that's it's gonna get good oh yeah it definitely gets good i'm really excited so i think that's gonna be it for this episode of instant transmission where we discuss everything dragon ball this has been your host todd and dayton be sure to join us next time as we embark on some turtle hermit training with goku and a familiar bald companion as they prepare for the 21st martial arts tournament. Will Goku complete his training and come out on top? Will this new companion be friend or foe? How far can Master Roshi throw a rock? (laughs) Find out uh, next time. Oh, yes. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans... Stay safe out there, and remember to keep rocking the dragon.
I really, really want to do an impression of that gas station attendant, but I think we'll get kicked off of every platform.